Well, friends, good morning. Uh, if you're new with us, welcome. My name's Phil. I'm the pastor here. Uh, and we're going to consider this passage now. But I was shaving this morning, which is something I do rarely. Um, but I noticed on the back of my, my shaving cream, uh, there was a whole bunch of warnings telling me about all the dangerous things that could happen with shaving cream. All the risks of using shaving cream. I shouldn't try and place the can, I shouldn't try and pierce the can, sorry, uh, because it might explode. I shouldn't uh, try and inhale all the gas inside the can because that will make me sick. I shouldn't have a fire in my bathroom because the can uh, contents were flammable. Now, usually when I'm shaving, I'm more worried about the damage I might do with the five razor-sharp blades in the other hand than the shaving cream. But it turns out I've been wrong all this time. Shaving cream is dangerous. Oh, friends, the point is, almost anything is dangerous if you use it wrong, right? And you've seen the warnings, the really silly warnings, on lots of products that you own. Because almost anything can kill you if you use it in a stupid way. But some things, if used wrongly, are particularly dangerous. And friends, our passage this morning is one of those things. If you use this passage wrong, if we misunderstand it, if we misapply it, it can do incredible damage. In 1984, in Utah, in the USA, a woman and her 15-month-old daughter were murdered by the woman's brother-in-law. A man named Ron Lafferty. And do you know why he did it? Because God told him to. And at his trial, Ron Lafferty said this, You would think I have committed a crime of homicide, but I have not. I was doing the will of God, which is not a crime. It's a tragic story, isn't it? It's a story that makes me angry. I'm sure it makes some of you angry. And it all happened because Ron Lafferty believed in a God who tells people to kill. See, this is a dangerous passage and we can't afford to get this wrong. If we misunderstand this passage, we will see a God who is good as being not good. And it might cause us to act in a way that God does not, in fact, want us to act. This is a dangerous passage. We can't afford to get it wrong. And so I'm going to pray and ask that God would guide us as we try and understand it. Let's pray. Lord God, please speak through your word to us this morning and help us to understand it with clarity, with accuracy, that we might know what you would want us to learn from it. Keep us from misunderstanding it. Keep us from misapplying it. We ask that In it, you would show us the glorious riches that are there within it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Genesis 22 is a bit of a tricky passage. And this morning, we're going to try and tackle some pretty tricky questions. Questions that you might have when you read a passage like this. Like, why did God tell Abraham to do something so awful? How can a... Good God, command child sacrifice. How can God command something that in other parts of the Bible he expressly forbids? 
And why did Abraham actually listen to him? Why didn't he go see a psychologist and say, I'm hearing crazy voices? I'm going to do my best to tackle some of these questions. And come talk to me after if you feel I haven't answered your question. But I hope that we'll at least start to answer some of these questions if we can first understand the big picture. As in, why is this passage even here? Why did God give us Genesis 22? What does he want us to learn from it? And this morning, I'm going to show you that Genesis chapter 22 is here to show us the price of relationship with God. To put it another way, this is a passage that is going to help us wrestle with what God is worth to us. And it's a passage that will help us see what we are worth to God. And so there's three headings we're going to consider this morning. You can see them on the back of your outline if you've grabbed one on the way in. The call of God, the faith of Abraham, the sacrifice of the son. But we begin with the call of God. And the first thing to note here is that Abraham's story ends in much the same way as it begins. With a call from God. Today we're coming right to the end of our Abraham sermon series. But if you remember way back to the beginning in Genesis 12... Abraham was living in a country, in Ur. He was worshipping other gods. But then God called him. He invited him to leave his home, leave his family, leave his country and go to a place that God would show him. He didn't actually tell him where he was going. Well, here in Genesis 22, here uh, nearing the end of Abraham's life, God calls Abraham again. And again, he tells Abraham to go to a place he will show him. But while before God told Abraham to leave his family, this time God tells him to kill them. In verse 2, God says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, And go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's a big call. And, And Moses, who is writing this, he wants to make sure you feel the weight of this demand. Because God doesn't just ask Abraham for Isaac. No, he says, I want your son, your only son, whom you love. There is no doubt how much Abraham is feeling the weight of this demand. All his life, Abraham has been longing and patiently waiting for a son, for an heir, one who would be his own flesh and blood. He had to wait until he was 99 years old and then God finally gave him this son. Ishmael, the son who Abraham had with the household slave girl when he got impatient with God. Ishmael's gone. Remember in chapter 21, Abraham sent him and Hagar away. So Isaac is all he has left. He is the son Abraham has been longing for, waiting for, patiently, desperately wanting. But it's more than just that. Because Isaac is not just Abraham's son. Isaac is also the key to every other promise that Abraham has made to Isaac. You see, all of God's promises, the promise of the land that 
Abraham's descendants would live in, the promise of descendants of a mighty nation, the promise of blessing to all nations, all, all of those promises hang on the fact of Isaac's existence. Without Isaac, there are no descendants for Abraham. Without descendants, there is no people of God. Without a people, there is no hope of occupying the land that God had promised. Without that land, there is no nation of Israel. Without Israel, there is no Messiah. Without a Messiah, there is no blessing for all nations. Without Isaac, there is no promise, no salvation, no hope. Abraham literally has the hope of the world in his arms and God says, I want you to kill him. Why? Why does God ask Abraham to do this? Well, we're told in the very first verse, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And so the thing that we know, that Abraham doesn't know, is that this is a test. God is testing Abraham. God never intends for Isaac to die. He does not let Abraham follow through. It is a test of Abraham's faith. And essentially, God is posing the question to Abraham, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Do you value me more than you value the things I give you? Are you willing to pay the price? Of belonging to me. Now, in the news recently, there's been lots of talk about the cost of things. The price of petrol is going up. The price of food is going up. The price of housing is still going up. But something I notice, and particularly when it comes to housing, is that we often talk as if things have an objective value. You see, we we talk about housing being overvalued. We say that house costs too much, as if there is some objective baseline value that a house should be. But that's not how value works, is it? The, The thing about value is that it is subjective. It is completely determined by what you think something is worth. Now, you might not be happy about spending $900,000 on a cardboard box with holes cut out for windows, but if you value having a roof over your head, then you might be willing to pay it. You know value is subjective if you go to a fine art auction, right? If you've ever seen art and then seen the price tag, if you're like me, you might, your eyes might bulge out of your head. You might think something looks like a toddler spilled some paint on a canvas, but someone else sees value in it. In my previous church, uh, we were doing renovations and getting rid of all our office furniture. And at the time, my desk was an old communion table. And it was scratched. The varnish was all sticky and peeling off. I, I hated this desk. I couldn't wait to get rid of it. And the plan was that we would just take it to the tip because we thought, who's going to want this desk? But, fun fact, cheaper than taking things to the tip is to put them on Gumtree for free because there is always someone who will want it. So I put this thing up on Gumtree. I thought, I'll give it a go. We'll leave it a few days. If no one takes it, we'll go to the tip. Within a few hours, I had about 40 messages of people wanting this table. The guy that took it drove all the way from Toowoomba to the Gold Coast to pick it up. I, I was speechless. I had no idea. Why? 
What do you want with this table? Anyway, after it was gone, uh, I read some of the messages that I had received on Gumtree. And one of them came from a furniture restorer who informed me that this particular table was quite rare, quite sought after, and that versions of it had sold for over $5,000. I didn't tell the committee of management this. What you think something is worth determines the price you're willing to pay for it. Now, I still don't think that table was worth anywhere near $5,000, but value is determined by what you think it is worth or what the purchaser or the person who gets the freebie thinks it is worth. Well, in Genesis chapter 22, God is asking Abraham to show what he thinks God is worth. He's asking him, are you willing to pay the price of your son for the sake of me? Are you willing to give up everything else you have because you believe that I am better? Abraham Do you trust me? Now, I want to pause here and just address you for a moment and say that belonging to God is costly. Now, be clear, God will not ask you to sacrifice your children. He will not do that. But he does call you to give up a whole lot of other things. And the thing that will determine whether you are or are not willing to sacrifice those things is what you think God is worth. See, if if to you God is a nice little part of your life that you acknowledge on Sunday mornings and otherwise forget about, chances are you won't be willing to give up much for him at all. But if you think a personal relationship with God is the greatest thing you could ever have, if you're convinced that there is nothing better in life than having God, well, you'll be ready to give up everything else you have. Discipleship is costly. Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Belonging to God means denying yourself. It might mean denying yourself what you want for the sake of what God wants. It might mean sacrificing yourself out of love for other people. It might mean giving up your time. It might mean giving up your treasure. There is a price to pay to follow Jesus. Following Jesus involves suffering. It involves persecution. It involves sacrifice. There is a price to pay. And faith is believing that what God offers you is worth that price. So what's your price? What could God ask of you that would be too much? If God calls you to open your wallet, is that too much? When God calls you to give up your weekend, is that too much? When God calls you to lose the respect of your co-workers when you speak out for your faith, is that too much? What if God asked you to give up the dream of being married? What if he asked you to give up your dream of success in your field of business? What if God called you to give up your comfortable life to travel overseas on mission? What if God called you to give up your own life? Would it be too much? What price are you willing to pay? 
And it's hard to know what's more amazing in this story, the price that God asked Abraham to pay, or the fact that Abraham was willing to pay it. Because as we move on now in the story, we see really clearly Abraham's answer to God's question. God comes to Abraham and says, do you trust me? Are you willing to pay the price? And Abraham consistently, unwaveringly says, yes. There's these three moments in the text where we see Abraham's unshakable faith really clearly. Because when God says, go, take your son, sacrifice him, in verse 3 we read, early the next morning, Abraham set off. He doesn't delay straight away. God says, do you trust me? Abraham responds, I trust you. We see his faith again when Abraham arrives at the place that God showed him in verse 5. Abraham says to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, did you notice that? We, Isaac and I, will worship. And then we, Isaac and I, will come back. Now, if he's going to sacrifice his son, Isaac's not coming back. But you see, Abraham believes that Isaac is coming back. And yet at the same time, he fully expects to kill his son. You see, he knows. He knows that Isaac is fundamental to God's promises. He knows that God has to let Isaac live. And at the same time, he knows that God has said he must kill him. And yet he doesn't know how, but he knows that somehow Isaac will live. The writer of Hebrews picks this up and says that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to happen, but he trusts God. He trusts God by going. He trusts God by believing that Isaac will live. And then we see again when Isaac breaks that awkward silence as they climb the mountain. Because Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You see it? Where's the lamb? I don't know, son. But God does. Somehow, in some way, God will provide exactly what we need. Abraham doesn't see it, but he trusts. The call of God is a costly call. God is asking Abraham to pay a huge price. And yet the defining feature of this story is the consistent, unwavering, undying faith of Abraham. The price is huge and yet Abraham's willing to pay it. Because he knows he has something better. He trusts that even if he has to kill his own son, that God is so good and so faithful that somehow, in some way... God will bring good out of it. In the dark unknown, Abraham trusts God. In the pit of anguish and fear, Abraham trusts God. 
as Abraham is tormented by this thing that God is asking him to do, Abraham trusts God. He follows through. He doesn't doubt. He doesn't know what God will do, but he knows that God is good. The question that arises for us is, do you have that kind of faith? Could you trust God like Abraham did? Could you willingly give up the one thing that you want more than anything else for the sake of God? Could you? And of course the answer is no. You can't do it. You don't have that kind of faith. I don't have that kind of faith. And the reason I know this is because if we had this kind of faith, well, we wouldn't be behind in our church budget, would we? Because I would, we wouldn't have to ask each other to sacrifice. We would, we would just be willingly doing it. We would empty our bank accounts for the sake of the ministry of the gospel. If we had faith like Abraham, I wouldn't need to ask you to invite your neighbours to church this Easter because we would have already done it. We, we would have, we'd just be so completely obsessed so joyful in the gospel that we know that we would use every moment we have to share that news with people. If we had faith like Abraham, we wouldn't need to be putting out a call for more RI teachers or for more people to go on rosters here at church. We wouldn't need to ask for more kids' church leaders or more growth group leaders or managers or elders. But here's the thing. You, you don't have that kind of faith, and neither do I. Don't think that this is me venting all my frustrations at how you're letting me down. You're not letting me down. I don't have this kind of faith. And the sobering reality of this passage is how stark a contrast there is between Abraham, who is willing to sacrifice everything for God, and us, who are so unwilling to sacrifice anything for God. Don't fool yourself. We, we, we do fool ourselves into thinking that we might be willing to give up everything. But the reality is we can barely muster up the will to give up a few minutes or a few dollars. And what's the solution? How do we get this kind of faith? How is it that we can possibly trust God like Abraham does? And the answer is not try harder. If I just tell you to try harder, believe more, have faith, I, I'm just going to... I'm going to crush you. I'll crush myself. We, we just can't will this kind of faith. If I were to leave you today and say, go and do likewise, go be like Abraham, I would be putting on you a burden that you can't lift and that I can't lift it. But here's the thing. The, the key to understanding this passage is not for us to focus on how much God is asking us to pay. The key to understanding this passage is to see the price that God was willing to pay for us. You see, if you want to have faith like Abraham, if you want to have faith that is unshakable, the kind of, if you want to have the kind of freedom that Abraham has in knowing that nothing else in life comes close to the precious treasure that he already has in God, if you want to trust like Abraham, you need to see what Abraham's story is pointing towards. Because when Abraham says in verse 14, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, he spoke better than he knew. Because in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, 
we discover that Jerusalem, the temple city, was built on a mountain called Moriah. And centuries later, another son arrived in Moriah. He too was a son of Abraham. He was a son of Isaac, but he was also the son of God. And just like Isaac, he didn't deserve to die. Just like Isaac, he carried the wood up the mountain. Just like Isaac, he was bound and placed on the wood. But here's where the stories differ, because this time the father did not spare his son, his only son, whom he loves. He sacrificed him. He offered him up as a sacrifice for sin. And the thing that makes this passage remarkable is that he did it for you. He valued you so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price for you. And friends, knowing that, seeing that, feeling the weight of God's love for you, that he would give his only son for you, that is the only thing that can make you willing to lose everything for you. I can send you out and say, go have faith like Abraham and it won't work. But when your eyes are open to see the love that God has for you, the price that he was willing to pay, well, then that, and only that, might make you willing to give up everything to answer his call. In Genesis 22, when Abraham raises the knife to kill his only son, God intervenes. And God says to him, now I know. Abraham passed the test. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know that you trust me. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you value me more than anything else in the world. But for us, that sentence is reversed. How do you trust like Abraham? How do you get that kind of faith? How can you come to see that God is the greatest treasure you could ever have? How can you know that everything else you have, your time, your money, everything is nothing compared with having a relationship with the king? This is how you know. Because he did not withhold from you his son, his only son. Let me Our Father, you call us to sacrifice all for the sake of following you. You say, deny yourself, take up your cross, be willing to lay everything down. But Lord, you do that so that we might gain something so much better. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us comprehend just how good you are. Help us comprehend just how worthy you are of everything that we have. That we could give all our time, all our talents, all our treasure for you. And we would not be worse off for it. Lord, show us that because you were willing to give your only son in our place. That there is nothing more precious in all the world that we could have than your love. Convince us of this 
Grow our faith so that we might trust like Abraham. Help us know that in you we have everything we need and more. For the glory of our Lord Jesus we pray. Amen.